Last week we began our Missions Emphasis Month, and along with that we started our new series uh, called Our Missionary God. And as we kicked that off, we talked about the heart of a missionary. And we said that a missionary's heart is compelled, driven, to pursue the lost with love and truth the way God does. And we saw a beautiful, powerful picture of that in Genesis 3 as God pursued Adam and Eve right in the middle of their sin and their rebellion against Him. It's incredible. And we said that that heart, that heart of pursuit, should be our heart. It should be the heart of every believer. That should motivate and drive us as well. And that heart, that heart of pursuit, should drive and motivate our obedience and our faithfulness to what Christ himself has commanded every single believer to do, to carry out the Great Commission. Uh, That's the responsibility of every single believer. If you name the name of Christ as your Savior and Lord, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how much you know of the Bible. It doesn't matter how your education level or background may be. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter the the darkness maybe of sin that you were part of and and have left and uh, still deal with as far as the remnants of guilt. None of that matters regardless of any and all of those things, if you are a follower of Christ, then the command of Christ that we know of as the Great Commission is a command that you and I are responsible for. And we're responsible to be obedient to and to fulfill. Um, What that means for us all, and what we need to understand and remember and believe and apply, is that the Christian's primary mission is to carry out the Great Commission. That doesn't mean that there aren't other aspects of our Christianity that aren't important. That doesn't mean that we don't have other responsibilities. Uh, There's a lot that goes into being faithful to the call that is on our lives. But the primary, the main, the most important mission we have as Christians is to carry out the Great Commission of Christ. To go into all the world to make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that that He has commanded us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we have a missions emphasis at all. It's to remind us that we who live here in Beckley, West Virginia, have just as much a call to missions as the people in Japan or or Scotland, or like Pastor Scott referred to, the Native Americans here in our, own, in our own land, or South America, wherever it is that you think of as missions, and we have these flags all around, you know, that kind of draw our attention to the nations, and, and that's important. We need people to go to the nations, but we also need to understand we have just as much a mandate for missions right here where we're at. And that's really what the Great Commission mentions. When Jesus says to go, you know, he says, go therefore, he really is saying, as you're going about your life, as you're going in and out of your normal rhythms and routines of life, here's what I want you to do. As you live, live for me and live to proclaim my name. As you go about life, make my name known. Make disciples wherever you're at. 
And that's why we have even around our church, we have right on the back of the wall, everybody turn around and look at the doors. Don't leave, don't go through the doors, okay? But just look above the doors. Uh, it says go, right there, on a sign. Then on the other side, you have grow and sow. That's downstairs as well. It's not by accident that those things are there. That really sums up the Great Commission. That's what we want our, our vision to be here at the church. We want to be a church that goes. We want to be a church that grows. We want to be a church that sows into other people, that makes disciples. That needs to be the heartbeat of this church collectively. It needs to be the heartbeat that we all have individually. Because the Christian's primary mission is to carry out the Great Commission. And what that means for us is that being a Christian is to be a missionary. As simple as it gets. Being a Christian is to be a missionary. And that sounds cliche and that's said a lot, you know, in, in different ways at different times. You've heard that probably a million times. But that doesn't take away the significance of that. It doesn't take away the fact that that is absolutely true. It needs to be our reality. We need to embrace that. We need to believe that. We need to apply that. That being a Christian is to be a missionary. Makes sense then, if that's true, that we would clarify what our message is to be. That we would understand and pinpoint what the missionary's message is. If we're, if we're all missionaries as Christians, then what is the message we are to have, the message we're to carry? What is the missionary's message? And the reason we need to understand that is because it's easy to get off point. It's easy to wrongly prioritize what our message should be. It's easy to get distracted and derailed from what our main message is to be as missionaries, as Christians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we get a, a very clear and pinpointed reminder of what that message is to be, the message that should be every missionary's message. I want you to look at that with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll begin at verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5 17. The Apostle Paul is writing this and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love that he makes sure to say anyone here. Paul, of all people, understood what it was to be radically completely changed in every way forever. Before Paul was the apostle, he was Saul the persecutor. And before he was the church's greatest missionary, he was a murderer of Christians. And when he encountered the living Christ, he was completely, fundamentally, dramatically, miraculously changed in every way. He was never the same. And so he understood very well the transforming power of Christ and of the gospel. That's why he said, and, and he had complete ability to say, if anyone. And he was putting himself there. You know, It was as if he were saying, no matter how bad you think you, you are before Christ, no matter how wicked and evil you think you are, 
you've got nothing on me. It's as if he was, he was going back and remembering all that he did, bringing people that named the name of Christ before the Sanhedrin, uh, giving approval to their death. I mean, he was pretty much as bad as they get. And so he understood what it was to say, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, and that's really good news for all of us, because there's a lot of baggage that we're able to, to bring to the cross. There's a lot of background that we're able to have that's not good, that's not pretty, that's not comfortable. The good news is, anyone means anyone. It means no matter what your background is, no matter what you've said, thought, or done, no matter how opposite of a Christian you have been, when you come to Christ, He applies anyone to your life. We need to remember that for ourselves. We need to make that our message. Anyone means anyone. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old, no matter how dark and stormy and big the old might be, it's not enough to keep you from experiencing new life in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God. It's not from ourselves. It's nothing that we can manufacture. It's nothing that we can bring about. It's nothing we can do for one another. All this, this new life, this new creation experience, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is incredible. This means that God, through Christ, looked at all of us and all the, the people who came before us from the very beginning in the garden all the way to now. He looked at, at humanity, sinful, wicked, rebellious humanity, who were told in Romans, all of us before Christ are enemies of God. He looked at all of us and he said, I love you too much to keep you in your rebellious state. I love you even though you're my enemy right now. And I love you so much that I'm going to go to the ultimate length to make you not my enemy any longer, but my very own child. You who are far off because of sin, I'm going to bridge that gap and I'm going to bring you to myself. And as I do that, then I'm going to give you the very message and ministry of reconciliation that I've poured out on you. Incredible. Once we are reconciled to God through Christ, once we're made right with Him, once we're, we're brought back into a right relationship with Him, a relationship of love, a relationship of acceptance, a relationship of approval, not by any merit on our part, but all by Christ. Once we do that, once we know God as our Father and not our judge, it doesn't stop there. He then looks at us, and though we are still weak and feeble in our own power and our own ability, He says, all right, now that you've been reconciled to me, I want you to go out and be used by me to bring others into the reconciliation that you now know. Isn't that incredible? Amen. That, that is the beauty and the honor and the privilege of what it means to be a missionary. 
It doesn't mean that we're better than anyone who is still outside of Christ. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we have been gifted with the grace of God, brought near to Him when we shouldn't have been, reconciled when we don't deserve to be, and then given the privilege of serving the one who reconciled us to bring others into that same reconciliation. Incredible. Incredible. So that's, that's verse 18. Let's keep going. Verse 19, Paul explains a little bit more what that means. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That doesn't mean he looked the other way. It doesn't mean he swept trespasses and sins under the rug. It doesn't mean he's now all of a sudden inconsistent with his character. That's not it at all. The reason he's able to not count trespasses against anyone is all because of what Christ did. It's because Christ paid the price for that. That's why Paul says what he did. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting, here it is again, entrusting to us, the reconciled, The message of reconciliation. Quite the treasure to entrust to us. Therefore, verse 20, what all this means, in light of all that, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Church, that means we are the conduit of the life-giving message from the living God. We are the conduit of the life-giving message of the gospel through the living God himself. God making his appeal to all that are lost to the lost and the dying, to the separated from Him, to those who still have a a great big wall of isolation, to those far from God, looking for fulfillment that only He can provide, trying to fill the hole in their lives, the God-shaped hole that only He can fill. He is making His appeal of love and grace through us. Wow! Such things should not be in and of themselves. We have no right to such an incredible privilege and honor. And yet, that's the honor and privilege we've been given. And more than an honor and a privilege, it is a mandate. It is a command by Christ Himself. And an ambassador, think about what we know of as ambassadors in our our current culture. An ambassador does not speak on his own or for himself or for herself. An ambassador doesn't have the ability to decide what message to communicate, what message to convey. They don't get that luxury. An ambassador has one responsibility, to represent and speak on behalf of the authority that sent them. That's the same thing for us Christians. We don't get to decide what message to communicate. We don't get the luxury of deciding what parts to make sure we mention and what parts are okay to leave out. That's not given to us. As ambassadors for Christ, we speak for Christ. We speak what Christ wants us to speak, how He wants us to speak it. The whole message, nothing left out at all. 
we speak exactly the message he's given us to speak, which is the gospel and the gospel alone. We don't need to and we don't have the the right to add anything to that gospel or take away from that gospel. We don't need to do that. It's fine on its own. It has the power to stand on its own and we don't have the ability to do that even if we wanted to. We have one goal. To carry the name and the work of Christ to people. Period. That's it. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And here's what we do with that calling and that responsibility and that that incredible honor of being the ambassador for Christ that we are. Here's how we go about that. I want you to notice the passion, the urgency, the purpose, the determination in what we say and how we say it. Look at the next part here of verse 20. As ambassadors for Christ, as those that God is making his appeal through... We implore, Paul says. That's, that's pleading. There's an urgency there. There's a passion. There's a power in what we're proclaiming. We implore you on behalf of Christ, not on our own. We're not speaking for ourselves. We're not trying to lift and exalt ourselves up. We're speaking on behalf of Christ. We implore you on his behalf, be reconciled to God. Come and experience what we have experienced. Come and see we say. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and know and experience reconciliation that you're never going to find apart from yourself. That you're never going to find in doing more of the same thing that you've been doing. You're never going to find in chasing that thing or that person. Reconciliation is found only in and through Christ. And that's what we're proclaiming. Come, be reconciled like we are. That's the message of the church. That's the mandate for missions. And here's the motivation for that. Here's why that's so important. Here's what we need to make sure we express as well. Because this is the cost that was paid to make this reconciliation possible. This is the depth that God was willing to go to give us the reconciliation that we all can experience that is yours if you've come to Christ and committed your life to Him as Savior and Lord. The reconciliation that you know, this is the the links that God went to to give that to you that we then need to be completely sold out to to go and proclaim to others. Look at verse 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Think about that for a second. Just, just let's pause here. Here's God the Father making God the Son his eternal, perfect, Utterly holy Son, equal in nature to Him, sharing all the same divine attributes and the same divine character, sharing the Father's hatred for sin. The Father made that Son on our behalf, on the cross, He made Him sin itself. When Jesus took all of our sin, all of my sin, all of your sin, 
when Jesus took that on himself, in that moment before the Father, Jesus Christ, the eternally righteous one, became before the Father sin itself. That is why the Father had to look away from the Son for the first time in all of eternity. That is why for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've never known this before. I've never experienced what it is to be forsaken by you. Why have you done this? That is the cup that Jesus begged in agony that there might be some way for him to avoid in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what caused blood to drip from his head mingled with the sweat. It wasn't just the physical pain of the cross that Jesus was looking forward at and being aware of that caused him to be to the point of death as he expressed that to his disciples before he went to the cross. It was this. It was this right here. That's what he begged the Father in his humanity to avoid. And yet that's what he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. That's what he still resigned himself to. That's what he still surrendered himself to, all for us. God the Son, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness, just in his hatred for sin, became sin for us. Why? So that... In him, we who knew nothing but sin would become the very righteousness of God. Do you see the exchange that's taking place there? When you see the cross and you see the arms stretched out on the cross in in pictures or, or in the movies or you see it here on the cross, I want you to make sure that what you see in your mind is beyond the physical there that you see, and I would encourage you just to, to think about it in this light from here on out, that the, the beam there and the arm stretched out represent the exchange. The exchange that's coming across the Son of God. He got all of our sin. We got His righteousness. He got the judgment and the full measure of divine wrath For our sin, we got the full measure of divine love and forgiveness and grace and righteousness. That's what the cross is about. That's what Christ's coming is all about. Him becoming sin for us. We becoming righteousness in Him. It's incredible. That church... That is the missionary's message. That is the missionary's message. That's the gospel. And the missionary's message is really a a twofold message. It's really two sides of the same coin. And we see it here in this passage. The first thing that we need to make sure that we mention, the, the first side of the coin is that reconciliation has been provided through the person and the work of Jesus. Reconciliation has already been provided. There's nothing more we need to do. There's nothing more that has to be done. 
There's nothing that, that needs to be earned or worked for. There's nothing that can be earned or worked for. The reconciliation that we all need, desperately, has been already provided through the person and the work of Jesus. That's really good news. It's really good news. Because we all need to be reconciled to God. We saw last week that when Adam and Eve sinned, division is what happened. Separation, alienation, isolation. There was nothing they could do to change it. That's why God looked forward in time and and said to them and to the enemy, there's a day coming when reconciliation will be provided. It's going to be provided through the seed of woman. It's going to be provided through the prophesied one, Jesus the Messiah. It's going to be provided through him. And we see here today, as we look at this passage, that's exactly what happened. It was all provided for us, exactly what we needed. That's the first side of the coin. That's the first part of the missionary's message. And we need to make sure that we proclaim that. We need to proclaim that wherever we are, whether that's somewhere beyond our our local home, out in the nation somewhere, or right here where we are. That means if you're you're at work and you're surrounded by uh, unsaved co-workers, you need to make sure this is the message that your life is proclaiming and that your mouth is proclaiming. When you're, when you're out in your neighborhood, in your community, and you know you've got lost neighbors around you, this is what you need to be very intentional about proclaiming. The same with your family. This needs to be a very important aspect of the message we proclaim. Reconciliation has been provided through the person and the work of Jesus. But there's another side of that coin. There's another part of that message that we need to make sure we don't leave out and that we don't forget to mention just as much. It's just as important because you can't have this. You can't really have reconciliation without this part. And that is this, that repentance is required for reconciliation to happen. Repentance is required for reconciliation to happen. Reconciliation's been provided. Hallelujah. It's been provided through the person and the work of Jesus. But that reconciliation that's been provided cannot happen, it cannot be applied unless repentance happens. You know, we talked in our last series, What God Treasures, about repentance. And we said that repentance is more than remorse. It's a change in course. Repentance means we we understand our own sinful state. We understand what our sin is. We, We agree with God on what our sin is and what it does. We acknowledge that. We admit it. We don't try to excuse it. And we ask His forgiveness for it, and we turn around and go the opposite direction from it. That's repentance. And church, that is absolutely required, and we need to make sure that's part of our message too. Because as we're talking about our missionary God, and we're, we're seeing what we need to be by looking at Him, right? And we're, we're seeing His heart and His mindset, and we're seeking to model that and to picture that ourselves, right? Well, Our missionary God has made sure this is part of his message from the very beginning, all through time, all through history. Every prophet talked about the need to be reconciled to God, but every prophet made sure to talk about the need for repentance to God, to experience reconciliation. Think of of Noah preaching for 120 years. 
for his people to repent to God, to avoid the destruction that was going to be coming. Jonah was really upset that God was sending him to Nineveh to preach repentance because he said even to God, I knew God, I knew if I preached repentance and the people responded, you'd receive their repentance, you'd reconcile Nineveh to yourself, and I didn't want to do that because I want to see them judged. And he got really upset because he said, I knew you're a God of mercy, you're a God of reconciliation, but I also know that repentance is required for reconciliation. That's why I was trying to avoid it. And on and on, every prophet, that was their message. All the way until the time of Christ. You see, John the Baptist, and his main message was, repent, repent, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand, and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of reconciliation. But repentance must come first. And church, understand, as important of a message as this is, repentance... As we're proclaiming reconciliation, as important as it is to proclaim repentance, we need to understand that does not mean it's a comfortable, nice, pretty message to proclaim. It's not. It's messy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. When you start talking about repentance, people get really uneasy, right? But it's absolutely vital to mention and to proclaim and to communicate. It's not unloving or unkind to proclaim the need for repentance from sin. It's actually the most loving thing you can do. Because without repentance, reconciliation, though it's been provided for, cannot be laid hold of. It can't be embraced. It can't be experienced. Because our sin is what separates us from reconciliation to begin with. Church, we cannot be afraid or unwilling to proclaim repentance. And it's becoming less and less and less popular to do so, even in the church. We, we see example all over the place, all the time, of churches that have decided, you know what, it's just so much easier, it's just so much more comfortable, it's just so much more loving to just not really focus on the repentance part. Instead, just let's just focus on the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ. Let, let's just really make sure that's our emphasis. Well, that's half of an emphasis. The other half is missing, and if that half is missing, then you're missing the whole point. Uh, recently, there was a very prominent Christian musician, Christian artist, incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, who has been given an incredible platform. And when asked pointedly, very directly, tell us, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin before God? Great opportunity, right? Golden opportunity to speak truth. This artist said, well, you know, I really can't know for sure, and it's not for me to say. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. What? It's in the Bible. God hasn't changed his message. God hasn't changed his standard. He didn't decide one day, you know what? I no longer find homosexuality or any other expression of sexuality outside of my standard as wrong or as sin. Nope, no more. That's, that was just for then. This is now. God never did that and he never will. 
And that's the same for all of his standards and his principles and his guidelines and his word. His character will never change. And we need to make sure that our message reflects that. Now, please hear me on this. This does not mean we go in guns blazing and we just beat people over the head with their sin. All right, there's, the, there's a right way to go about it. We need to proclaim the need for repentance. We need to address sin, but we need to do it in the way that Christ has done it, which is in love, in grace, in kindness, in humility. Look at his example. Look at, look at the writings of Paul about this subject. Know what the Word of God says about how to go about addressing this, but make sure we address it. It needs to be part of our message. Just as much of uh, a significant an important thing to mention as the reconciliation that's been provided. This is the missionary's message. This is our message because being a Christian is to be a missionary. Let's make sure this is our priority, right? Let's make sure this is our heartbeat. This is what drives us in season, out of season, locally and abroad. This needs to be what we're about. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... Your word today, I thank you for seeing in your word what the missionary's message really is, what it's all about. I thank you that we have been reminded here today that it's all about Christ. The missionary's message is all about Christ and what he has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And Father, I pray that we also have been reminded that we who are reconciled, through Christ, we who have received the gift of reconciliation, that we are still in need of repentance ourselves, day in, day out, moment in, moment out. That as we foolishly choose sin, that we would make sure that we are repentant people as well. And help us to make sure, Father, that we are faithful and obedient to the mandate that you've given us, the Great Commission. That was not just for the original disciples, but that is meant for us living today just as much. And in that, help us to be faithful to both sides of the coin. Help us to be sure that we proclaim the provision for the reconciliation that everyone needs as being found in the person and work of Christ. But help us to also make sure we are faithful to proclaim the need for repentance so that that reconciliation can be known and experienced. Empower us in this way by your Spirit, I pray. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.